baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and it's time for another chat about what's going on with the Atlanta Braves. It's been a couple of weeks, but we're back in the saddle, and I got a special guest for you on this episode. It is Peter Moylan, the former Braves reliever. You can find him currently on Bally Sports doing pre- and post-game for the Atlanta Braves on the television side. We'll chat with Peter about everything that's been going on for the Braves, not only on this road trip, we'll take a little look back at what's made this club so good in the second half, and of course, what the Braves need to accomplish over the next 10 or so days to punch their ticket back to October. And we'll have a little bit of discussion about what Freddie Freeman means to the Braves, not only on the field, but also off the field. That's been a big topic this week as well. Before we get started with any of that, I want to remind you, you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and reviews. If you like what you've been hearing, please tell a friend that helps out the show immensely. On social media, you can find me on Twitter at Grant McCauley. You can find the show at From the Diamond underscore, and you can find me on Instagram at Grant McCauley, and the show is at From the Diamond there. And if you're looking for all the articles and videos and every episode of this podcast, FromTheDiamond.com is a great place to find it all. Joining me right now to talk about what's going on for the Atlanta Braves and this West Coast trip they've been out on, or at least a trip out west, is Peter Moylan, of course, former Braves pitcher. You can catch him on Bally Sports these days. And also, great podcast with our old friend Kelsey Wingard. Uh, Farm to fame is what you've been doing a little bit this season as well, Peter. You're kind of a jack-of-all-trades. You're doing all kinds of stuff. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, Grant. Good to be here, buddy. It's been uh, This is my first time actually talking to you officially like this, you know? It's been, know. let's get into the Braves. Wow, this is going to be exciting. No, I'm, I'm very excited about it. I appreciate you making time. Of course, if you're course. Uh, out there listening to the show, I'm sure you know you can follow Peter on Twitter, at Peter Moylan. Really hard to remember there. Recommend you do that <laughs> there, of course, though, and uh, you can catch him on the Braves pre- and post-game shows on television. So clearly we've got a really good time of year to be a baseball fan, I think, when your team's in the thick of things heading towards October. And this is a big road trip for the Braves as they try to hold off the Phillies and to, a, I guess, a lesser extent these days, the Mets. And, of course, yeah. Atlanta wants to stay in first place in the NL East. What have you seen from this club over the last, let's say, week or so, and where does it put your confidence level as they head down the stretch into this final string of games? I've seen some resilience, I guess you'd say. They've played good enough baseball against Arizona. Obviously, the mm-hmm. day before yesterday was the offensive onslaught, um, and yesterday was a little different game. But look, all that matters right now is wins. I think it's an exciting – you said it's an exciting time to be just a general baseball fan right now. Yeah. It really is. You look around all over the league, there's races that are still up for grabs. And even when the playoffs start, I think anybody can win this thing. St. Louis is getting hot at the right time. If the Bravos can get hot, here in a little bit i like our first two in the rotation against pretty much anyone honestly and i had a quick dive in last night before last night's show of all the playoff teams on the in the national league especially besides the dodgers 
it's not like there's going to be a team that's throwing four stud starters at you. Mm -hmm. It's the top two, and then they're just trying to piece it together just like we will. So, look, depending on how deep you want to go, I think there's obviously an issue with the lack of competitiveness of some teams. But I think for the teams that are competitive, um, it's going to be a fun playoff. Yeah, I definitely think it will be. And there are some surprises to the way this picture looks. I don't know that anybody knew the Brewers would be as good as they were and to a bigger extent. I don't think anybody saw the Giants coming to the extent that they've been this year as they were good pretty much from opening day on and then have just continued to win and win some more. And that's a team that the Braves just saw. They did take a series from the Giants at Truist Park. And then I feel like they could have taken the series on this road trip as well. When you size up how Atlanta has played against a team like San Francisco, a team like the L.A. Dodgers, which was another hard-fought series loss on the road recently at Dodger Stadium, what do you make of the Braves' ability to match up with teams like that? Because I think that's what everybody's question is. Can the Braves hang with those teams, with those records, and, of course, with the Dodgers, with that pitching, with that depth? I'll answer that by saying baseball is the only game in the world where I feel like any team can beat any other team on any given day, and I know it's a cliche, but... I've lived it, man. I've seen teams that should have had no chance against other teams and they've get their ass kicked. So mm-hmm. for me, it's just getting in. You know, if we can hold on to this division, we're not going to win the wild card. So there's no play-in games. There's none of this sort of stuff. It's if you win this division, you're in the playoffs fully. And then you line up your starters and then you get to line up the bullpen. It's it's a whole different ball game. And it's it's I think it's good that the changes have been made to the roster size in September because we're still playing the style of game that we've been playing all yeah. year. There hasn't been a massive influx of relievers that completely changes the way games are played. And I think that the better teams are going to prevail over the 162. And there's going to be a couple of disappointed teams, obviously, but there's going to be some teams that, like St. Louis that, that, that just have just shocked the world. Yeah, and St. Louis is, as you say, getting hot at the right time, making that playoff push in a division. Brent, they went and got Lester mm-hmm. and Jay Happ. And they've made that work. Yeah, those were the big guns they brought in. And St. Louis Cardinals fans were not thrilled about that. Who would have been? If Alex Anthopoulos goes out and makes that move, you tell me you're going, oh, great job. No, I can't tell you that that would be the guys I want to see walking through that door. And it's been a result of the Cardinals kind of playing up to the ability that they weren't showing to that point and then getting a couple of guys in there. But sometimes, yeah, it's it's just what we've got in-house is going to have to work and there's not – really a big acquisition out there to make. And I feel like the Braves were kind of in a weird place where Alex Anthopoulos could have decided to go one of two ways, to do nothing. He could have sold. He could have sold, yeah, or done nothing, or he could have bought the pieces that he did. And I was ready to sell. And I wasn't going to sell the core, right? but Will Smith was gone. Charlie Morton was gone. Drew Smiley was gone when he was throwing the ball well. Mm-hmm. I would have got rid of Martin. Because you look at what people were paying for players at the deadline this year. Think about what we could have done. Had obviously the season's turned around, so it's it's obviously worked out beautifully for the Braves. But yeah. if we had have fluttered around five hundred for the rest of the year, imagine the missed opportunity that that could have been. Yeah. Obviously, it's not now because we've found that Adam Duvall might be the second coming of Babe Ruth. We've got Jorge <laughs> Soler that's turned into a a, a right fielding Gold Glover and an on base stud. And then yeah, I, th- I hope Jock can have a little bit more of an, in, an impact. But I'm, I think honestly you're going to see his value when we get to the business end and when we get to the playoffs and, and I'm hoping that he can do what he did in LA. Yeah. And that's the quality depth that you always talk about is what's going to be going on in October when you maybe need somebody like a Jock Peterson that can step in and get a start against a right-hander and give you what you need when you've got a lot of other right-handed options. We hadn't touched on Eddie Rosario yet, but let's bring that whole group of four out here and just put it all out on the table 
These are some great pieces that the Braves got for fairly cheap, and they're finally able to put together a lineup that, when you look at it, has that ability to put runs on the board and make opposing pitchers, I think, a little bit nervous at the very least. And they had to do all this to make up for the loss of Ronald Acuna Jr. and Marcelo yeah. Zuna. So, I mean, are you surprised to see this group of newcomers doing what it's doing? Because it's been yeah. pretty impressive top to bottom. Short answer is, yeah, I am surprised. Um, ideally, this is what you want to happen when you make trades, but very rarely does it work out as well as it has for us. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's all credit to Alex, man. Like, it's I, I know we talk about him all the time, but the balls on the man – because it was the 12th hour too. We were all sitting around kind of just waiting for stuff to happen. And then all of a sudden, just boom, we've got 20 new players arriving. So I said on the show last night, it changed the trajectory of the, the season for the Braves, but it also changed the trajectory of each one of those guys' individual seasons because they felt like they've just got a burst of energy since they've been over here. And they're, they're playing out of their skin. Soler wasn't meant to be doing this. Like no. he's not an on-base guy. He's a 45 mm-hmm. homer guy hitting 200 but he's changed the way that he's he's approaching the game and he's going the other way and he's doing different things it's awesome to see yeah it's been a little bit of everything from everybody and it's been a lot from guys like adam duvall they've gotten a lot from Soler. eddie rosario kind of had to sit around and wait for a little while to get him in there but he's been a nice addition and so you're able yeah. to get some power from both sides of the plate i know you know adam duvall pretty well from over the years and i think a lot of people were disappointed when he headed in a different direction over the winter and the braves decided to go ahead and let him sign elsewhere. But not only are you not having to face Adam Duvall, who has driven in, I don't know, 30 or so runs or more for the Braves, and all of his other RBI this year felt like they were against the Braves. This is a a guy I think you want to see hang around for a little while beyond 2021, if we're being honest, doesn't he? So that's a team option or that's a mutual option? It's a mutual option, which I don't know how often those things are really picked up. I don't know that he's not going to become too expensive for us if that's the case. Yeah. Uh, if it was the option that we could just pick up, then it's a that is just a, obviously no doubter. But you know, he's probably going to command more than five million for next year, so I, it'd be silly for him to accept that unless he really likes playing here. Unless yeah. Adam Duvall, the kind of person that he is, I, I, that wouldn't surprise me either. He's comfortable here. He seems to like it here. He's obviously doing well here. Um, he's never really got paid though, so I think that he needs to go out there and see what kind of money he can get because it could be his last paycheck. Yeah, and it would be an opportunity. Sorry, for Bryce fans. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we already went through it last winter where it was a decision of if you tender him a contract, he's going to cost you about $7 million, I think, was the estimated yeah. total. And then, you know, he didn't get that in the offseason guarantee, but he got a deal with the Marlins with a chance to make some money. And, of course, the Braves decided that, you know, having Marcelo Zuna at that time around long term mm-hmm. was something they wanted. And, obviously, unforeseen things have happened since then. That's changed that whole situation entirely. So, uh, right. Moving out of hindsight and moving back into the present day, Reality. And, uh, yeah. moving forward, yes, for what the Braves have in-house right now, Jorge Soler, Adam Duvall, Eddie Rosario, Jock Peterson, all added to this mix to help uh, beef up a Braves lineup that in large part has been carried by the strength of its infield, which has been doing yes. a whole lot of slugging uh, around the horn from Freddie Freeman that you expect the 30-plus homers and MVP production out of. Ozzie Albies has shown it to us before. Dansby Swanson's had some hot streaks and cold streaks, but Austin Riley was the big question mark over at third base. Was he going to take that big step forward and become an everyday player? And that's exactly what he's done and then some. Uh, Can I ask you a question? Yeah, go ahead. Were you on the Jose Ramirez train? I was not. I was on the Austin Riley train. I know it might not be going as far for folks, but that was my train. Was it really? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's good. I'm glad you said that because – I was probably on the on the Jose Ramirez train. I've got to be honest with you, but not for uh, any lack of want of 
Austin Riley. It oh, was sure. more of a win-now mentality for me. I wanted these guys to have a real crack last year and again this year. But look, even if they go in to make that trade, we're probably not in the position we're in right now. So more credit to Alex Antopoulos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, That's- it's something we say a lot when it comes to trades because I think he's done really well with those in-season deals. But pretty much he every trade on, rumor... He missed out on Duval, though, let's be honest. He did. He, he let him go in the offseason. But when it came to the yeah. actual trades, I think he's done pretty well acquiring Adam Duval a couple of times, even though the first time folks weren't really impressed with the 2018 no. version of Adam. But yeah, credit to him. It's an incredible story overall. But kind of circling back to Riley, I mean, I've watched this kid since he was in the low minors. I've always saw the work ethic. I've always believed in that power. But it seems like he's become a much more complete hitter than anybody could have imagined and done it in what appears to be a... Record amount of time. I mean, this is a totally different guy than we saw his first couple of times through the big leagues in 2019 and 2020. Yeah, I have to totally agree with you. It feels like you can almost see in some guys when it starts to click. And it's not just results, but it's also how long the struggles last. And I feel like with him, he's been able to get through the struggle times, just still picking up the occasional knock or single or walk or, you know, not the big power numbers like we've seen, but when you can go through those periods and still put numbers up, that's the difference between being a great player and just a good player. And I think that's, and when you hear him talk about hitting, you can tell that he understands what he's doing. He's not just going up there and sort of just see ball, hit ball. He has a plan and he's able to execute. And if it doesn't go to plan, then he goes and makes adjustments in game, in at bat even. It's, and you can just, it's the maturity that you've seen from him. Look, maybe it's the influence of the seven hitting coaches that we've got there, but sure. it's just been so fun to watch. And I can admit that I'm so glad that Alex had on to him. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing with prospects is I think everybody feels some kind of way about each one of them. Of course, you have the highest hopes that they're going to come in and do the big things that people have predicted. But What's the timing of that going to be? And as a guy who played for a very long time in the big leagues yourself and been around professional baseball for obviously most of your adult life at this point, do you think that sometimes those expectations really kind of do a disservice to these kids because they never really get the time to not only grow but to get comfortable or to get settled in the big leagues and become who they're supposed to be? Yeah, um, but what's the alternative? Just not do any stories on kids until they get to the big leagues? Probably not. So, unfortunately, this is the the nature of the world we live in, man. It's just if you're good at something, you're going to get exposure. So, I think the issue becomes the lack of patience on a team's part and not so much at the big league level, but the minor league level, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, it's from an Australian perspective, it's tough for us to come over here and, and then try and prove ourselves so quickly. And then if we don't do it, we sort of get shipped back home. Whereas for O'Reilly in the big leagues, it's a little different story. But um, yeah, I just, I think it's a lot to do with the maturity of the kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can see the way that he receives what the information that he's being told. And you yeah. can see, as I said, the adjustments that he makes after he's received the information. I think that's the biggest key for me. The Braves have got an infield that is anchored by Austin Riley and Freddie Freeman on the corners. Up the middle, Dansby Swanson and Ozzy Albies also with a chance for 30 home runs this year. I know that there's a lot of different things when we start talking about what's the strength of a team, who's going to power this club, and clearly those names are going to be on the list. But I don't think I came into this year thinking it was going to be a realistic possibility that all four Braves starting infielders could hit 30 home runs. Uh, have you played with a team that had an infield that had not – I mean, historically speaking, that's never happened before. So no. maybe that answers the question. But just knowing yeah. that you've got that kind of power from that group as a whole. I mean, pretty good first and third baseman from most of my career with Chipper and Troy Gloss and Derek Lee and Hosmer even, mm-hmm. uh, Moustakis. But that's the middle infield that's kind of lacked that pop for my 
for my generation, but now it's different. Dansby may not get to 30. Aussie's going to shoo that in. I'd like to see... Dansby got a couple of knocks last night. So the power is real with these guys. And 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 the way I like to present things to Braves fans is that you say hindsight earlier, look at this season mm-hmm. and look at what they've learned and look at what the potential is for next year. And I know we've keep saying that, but Mike Soroka potentially back at the end of the year for a playoff push. Ronald Acuna at the start of the year. Who knows what's happening with Azuna? I'm not even going to touch that. But you add to that Austin Riley and this infield, and it's freaking scary. Yeah, We're talking on paper we match up with teams now, not just, oh, no, we can still compete with them. It's okay. We literally match up with teams on paper now. Yeah. So uh, I think Dansby has learned so much this year. And again, he's also having to learn to fight through struggles. And it's a, that's a maturing process. These are all still young guys too. This core is still pretty young, besides Freddie, obviously. But I just hope we can get that deal done with Freddie yeah. before he sees the dollar signs from some other teams. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. I mean, you've played with a guy you know him pretty well. Obviously, he's made no secret about the fact that he wants to spend his whole career in a Braves uniform. And sometimes mm. these extensions come together during a year. Sometimes it's just something that it's just the business of baseball, like you said earlier. Uh, what's your gut tell you on Freddie Freeman? And uh, how comfortable are you with maybe putting out a uh, a prediction for how exactly that whole thing's going to play out? Because I know there's a lot of interested parties out there. I'm too close to it to predict anything. I will say that I know that both teams want to get something done. Yeah. Um, so that's been stated in the media, out of the media. I think it does get done. I don't know what the numbers are going to look like, honestly. Um, I think the Braves have probably cost themselves a little bit of money by not doing it before the season, if I'm perfectly honest. Sure. But they weren't ready to commit at that time, and you can understand it was a different world. But (laughs) there's also something called a profit statement that comes out, and it's going to throw a little bit of a spanner in the whole we don't have any money story. So Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, man. I just hope it gets done. People show up to see him play. He's been a professional. He's been through so much crap with his team, and I think he deserves to be paid what he's worth. Yeah, and on top of that, I feel like just with the style of player that Freddie Freeman is, he looks like, and I know this is a difficult thing to project going forward, but he seems to have all of the requisite skills or abilities to be a guy who's going to age pretty well. And I'm not saying hand the guy a 10-year contract and pay him until he's 43. No, he doesn't I mean, want 10 years. That'd be great, he, but he, yeah. That's the thing. <laughs> no one's saying he needs a 10-year contract. Just pay him the fair market value and he will stay. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. He's he's not a big Albert Pujols type that's just going to rely on size and you're not going to see him turn into that where he's just not able to even move. You can see he's nimble. He's still stealing bases. He's athletic. He works his ass off in the offseason. He trains better than anyone. He gets his body into a, a nimble, physically strong, flexible baseball body. And, mm-hmm. and, and he's not going to fall apart. Yeah, and it just seems to be his style of play is something that you can see aging pretty well. And the stuff that he does, I mean, just doing the splits at first base, he may say he doesn't practice those, but, man, I wouldn't want to try that out without having practice and have some idea about what's going to happen there. But it's impressive for a just guy who's, at, what, six foot five? Yeah, and just look at this year in general. Coming off the MVP last year, started the year as an absolute shite show, excuse my French, uh, for him with kids. And then all of a sudden, it's, he can't get the season going and he's mm-hmm. hitting the ball hard and he's hitting 220. And it's like, holy cow, what's going on? And there's the contract talk. And it's, you know, think about the weight that all that could put on a player 
And then he turns around and you look at his numbers yesterday and he's 380, 900 OPS and, and he's just doing exactly what he does every year. So if it was going to be a year where he was going to fall apart and he could look at it and go, well, maybe he's not worth the money, it would have been this year. But he's proved everybody wrong and he deserves to get paid. Yeah, there was an interesting article that profiled Freddie Freeman on Yahoo Sports that came out this week and it told the tale of why Freddie not only expects to play every day, but for the rest of that infield to be out there with him each and every day. And I think, Peter, if we're honest, that infield group has carried this offense for a very long time this year. Yeah, we got reinforcements at the trade deadline, and that's great, but that infield was having to carry it. There's some really harsh reaction, I think, to some of the ball busting that Freddie was doing with some of the other guys and the pressure that he puts on himself and on others. But I feel like, and I think you agree with this, that that's kind of the competitive drive that has made Freddie Freeman such a great player. Yeah, without that drive, he doesn't become the player he is. And... I just want it to be known that the message, the only message that there is that he's trying to portray and get across is that to every one of those guys, those core groups, this team is a better team when you're on the field. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. Whether you're at 80%, whether you're at 85%, this team is better off when you play. Now, there's a difference between playing through injuries and playing hurt. And I get that. And at sometimes the playing through pain can affect your on-field performance. But at the same time, there's also adrenaline. There's also mindset. I, th- I don't think this is a period where you have to go, you play every single day, no days off. That's obviously not what we're here for. But he is built differently. He expects greatness from yourself, and he expects greatness from the people that are around him so that the team can win. Yeah, and like most people, I'm all for guys getting a day off when they're banged up and they need it. I'm also for, I think what Freddie's point is, is setting the expectation you come to the park ready to compete and contribute and like you said nobody needs to be playing every day through an injury but there is that difference between hurt and injured and I feel like that kind of got lost in translation with some of the out of context quotes and the fact that you know not everybody plays 162 games anymore maybe that feels passe to some folks but I think it should be a goal at least for players to be out there as much as they can whether they put the number 162 on it or not and you said that the issues with the outfield that we had earlier that this infield group had to carry them so you know, you can't carry a team if you're not in the lineup. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? Like, you need those guys. You need your four core guys in there every day showing what they can do. And let me ask you, just in terms of guys like Dansby Swanson, Ozzie Albies, Austin Riley, do you think those are guys that are feeling a little bit overworked? Or is that just part of the grind of the 162-game season? Because I don't think it's just the voice of Freddie Freeman that's propelling them out onto the field at this point. No, I think it's the drive. I think look at the time of the year that we're in. It's a combination of everything. If we're out of it right now, go ahead and take as many days as you want. Get ready for next year. But we've got a reason to play, and you are part of the starting lineup, so be there. Yeah, baseball continues to evolve over time, and I think it's easy to look at a team like the Dodgers, for example, that spends an awful lot of money to have all the depth that it does that can have an Albert Pujols be their veteran pinch hitter off the bench and also have three or four other pieces the Braves don't really have that, and maybe there's a case to be made for improving the depth year over year. I think that would certainly help out, but I don't think there's anything wrong with having that expectation that you play every day, and I don't think that there's yeah. anything wrong with Brian Snitker allowing Freddie Freeman to have the wherewithal to be a leader who kind of sets that expectation amongst the other position players that are in there. When you look at whether it's a documentary or an article written about superstars, there's a level of obsessiveness, I guess you'd mm-hmm. say, that comes with being that good at something. I never had it, and I could admit that I never had it. I got lucky enough to play my career in the big leagues, but I wasn't a superstar. I was a regular, good baseball player. These guys 
have a mentality that I just cannot relate to. And I can talk to them about regular things, but when their mindset goes to that competitiveness or that drive that they have to be the best, then it's fun to see, but it's, it can be intense. No doubt about it. Now, you were in the locker room with Freddie Freeman as recently as, what, 2018. In fact, you were a couple lockers down from him at that time. But just for Correct. folks who don't know this, what does Freddie Freeman bring day in and day out when he walks into that clubhouse and joins that team and makes his contribution both on the field that we see but off the field, I guess, is more what I'm asking about. Yeah, well, I don't want anybody at home to get the impression that he walks in there with a marching band and just announces his presence every day and then has a <laughs> rolls down a scroll and runs through the Ten Commandments of that day. No, this is not what happens. He walks in, he leads by example, he'll say hello to everyone, and he'll go and do his work, and he will prepare like the best person that he can prepare. That's about as simple as I can do it. He's not going to be the jokester. He's going to have fun. He has fun with people all the time. But he's not joking around. He's in there to do a job, and he's there to win. On top of that, when he goes out on the field and is out there each and every single day, and I say this in relation particularly to he played through a really rough elbow injury where he had to have off-season surgery after the postseason in 2019. But Freddie Ooh. Freeman being out on the field, what does that give this team when it goes out there to compete just by having him in the lineup and out there, even if he's playing through uh, what amounted to a pretty major injury, but long story short, he's playing hurt anyway. So what does it mean to see him out there still committed to being there with his teammates? It does two things. One, it shows everybody that's in that locker room that there's your leader. That's what you need to do. That's what guys do in the big leagues. But it also puts a fear in the other team because they don't know the ins and outs of what he's going through. He might be struggling for other reasons, but the fact that he's in that lineup He's a chance to do some damage and he's a chance to hurt them. So it changes the whole way that teams approach the Atlanta Braves when his name is in that two or three hole. Yeah, just his very presence makes a big difference for that lineup, makes a big difference for the team, both on the field and off the field. And as we turn the page from the Freddie Freeman discussion, which I did feel like was important because some parts of that article was great anecdotes and stuff that I love to read. And then some of it was, I feel like, maybe taken a little bit out of context. And some of the reactions to it, I felt like, were just really all over the place. And if you're one of those folks out there who feels like the Braves would be better off without Freddie Freeman because he's giving other guys a hard time about staying in the lineup, which is mostly good-natured. That's as simply as you can put it, by the way. Yeah. He's giving guys a hard time because they might look like they're potentially wanting a day off when they don't need it. They, you know, Now, obviously, he doesn't know what they're feeling at the time, but nine times out of ten, when a guy's coming in and he's like, ah, I could use the day, he could probably play through whatever he's dealing with. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest. So as simply put, he just puts pressure on guys because he wants them to be in that lineup because the team's better with them in the lineup. Yeah, I feel like that's the pressure that pushes people toward the greatness that everyone's trying to achieve, one through yeah. 26, plus the coaches, managers, and oh, by the way, all the people that buy tickets and wear all of the merchandise to support that team, they want to see that team push itself towards its goal ultimately of winning and the Braves are on the road right now towards another appearance in October if they can hold on to the NL East and I know the Braves have Peter beat up on the teams they're supposed to by and large especially in the second half and they're doing it again out in Arizona but I don't know if I've seen a Braves team that was battling for first place or holding on to the division that's had as much trouble with one-run games as this team has <laughs> they're 23 yeah. and 29 in one-run games this year after going 11 and 6 in 2020, 28 and 16 in 2019, and 23 and 12 in one run games back in 2018, 
they're not losing each one of these games the same way, but how yeah. aware of this is the team when it comes to this kind of struggle? Um, I mean, they're aware of it because the media won't let them not be aware of it. Of course. Um, but yeah, it's the ebbs and flows. Do you remember in 18 when we couldn't score a run with a runner on third less than two outs? Yep. So it's just one of those things where once the situation has a spotlight on it, every time that situation comes up, it's like when you buy a car, right? Okay. When you buy a car, you start noticing the amount of brands of that same car there are around while you're driving, right? Yeah. Have you ever noticed that? I have. Oh, there's a Jeep. I drive a Jeep. Oh, mm -hmm. there's an Explorer. I'd... When a problem is exacerbated and it's put a spotlight on it, every time it happens, everyone's like, oh, here we go again. Here we go again. So I get the numbers are there. I mm -hmm. get that it's happening. But baseball is such a strange, funny game, and it's such a streaky game. We might do this for the season. And then get to the playoffs and go 12 for 12 with runners in scoring position for the first three games. Like, yeah. it's just baseball, Grant. And I know that's such a cop-out, but I don't know how else to explain it to people because there's so many moving parts in this game and there's so many things that have to click for a team to go right that when one thing isn't going right, look at Dansby, right? Mm -hmm. Dansby Swanson still got the same swing he had two months ago. He's still putting the same. He's still got the same approach. Everything's the same, but the results aren't there. Why? I don't know. It's baseball. Yeah. And see what I'm saying? I do. It's baseball has been the answer to very many questions that people have asked me over the years that I don't have the requisite Correct. amount of uh, skill to tell you from my experience exactly what happened or the knowledge base to be able to explain it. There's a lot of weird things that go on. And a few of the trends that I would file under this for the Braves have not only been the one run games, but I, I don't care if I ever see another extra inning game for the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> how do you feel about the rule? What do, how do you feel about the rule? I don't like it at all, personally. And if you wanted okay. to put a qualifier on it, that maybe you start doing it in the 12th inning or something, maybe I'd be okay with it. But I just yeah. don't feel like putting free base runners on is something that at the highest level of the sport ever really made a lot of sense to me. I always felt like you earned your way on base. You were a pitcher. You were trying to stop people from earning their way on base. I'm sure you'd yeah. rather have a clean inning than a guy standing out at second as soon as you go out to pick up the ball for the first time. Without question. And I'm, I agree with you. Make it the 11th, make it the 12th. But at the same time, I, I'm also for it because I don't want to throw 17 innings and have sure. my arm fall off and have to make 30 moves to try and cover the bullpen for the next three weeks because we've had to cover two and a half games in one night. Yeah, the other interesting thing to this, and I'd be interested to get your feedback on it, was some of these rules were designed so that we'd stop seeing position players pitching so often, particularly <laughs> the extra inning rule, the three batter limit, and all of those things. I don't know that we've seen a really notable downtick in position players pitching. In fact, earlier this year, what did we see? Three in one game by the Cubs? And Correct. that was in April. Yeah. And the speed of the games are not getting any shorter. No. So, you know, all these rules that they say are for one thing. I mean, are they really for one thing? Or the, who, who knows what Manfred's doing at any given time and why he's implementing certain rules. But I do like the rule in general, but I'm with you. I think it needs to be later. At least give them like sure. extra time. Give them five minutes of extra time. See if they can nut it out on their own. If they can't, then you obviously come in for the penalty shootout or the runner on second base. Right. Some kind of version of that, I think, some kind of tweak might make it a little bit more palatable to me. And I'm certainly not the most old school of old school, but I just can't get behind change for the sake of change. I think that's where it kind of rubs me the wrong way. Now, yeah, speaking of one-run games, close games, all those kinds of things, you're no stranger to the bullpen, and it's always a point of conversation. We've seen ups and downs from the groups. We've seen it individually. The guy who's closing the door is Will Smith, and he struggled, yes. particularly with home he runs. Struggled. He's had a rough yeah. go of things lately, and with a veteran closer like that, do you do what Brian Snitker has been doing and ride it out, hoping for that course correction, or do you start to think about employing some matchups and 
maybe trying a couple of other guys in the ninth inning on occasion. I think if I am putting my manager's hat on right now, I would do exactly what Snit's doing. I would be using Will Smith in the traditional closers role and using my other guys to come in and get the higher leverage situations throughout the game because Mm -hmm. you are a new school way of thinking and you've seen the new school closer deployed Andrew Miller style over the last few years and you've seen how effective that can be. Those last three outs can be the hardest three outs to get. You hear it all the time, but it's not necessarily the most important three outs. You could face the middle of the lineup in the sixth, seventh, eighth inning with runners on and you need to go, you know what? I need Matzik here. I need Jackson here. And then you get through that and then you got a three-run buffer in the ninth and you can throw Will Smith in there. I still have the confidence as Will Smith as a closer. We signed him to be the closer. Mm -hmm. As far as converting saves goes, there's been a lot of blown saves from a lot of good closers this year. Liam Hendricks has blown six. Diaz has blown six. Hayter's only blown one. He's really the only guy that's out there that's been a shutdown closer. And there's only one of him. So right. this is not just a Braves problem, just like the starting rotation isn't just a Braves problem. This is a league-wide thing. Even Kimbrel was a nightmare sometimes. So it's not like it's just – I just think it's one of those things that you just want what other people have. Sure. Um, but I just think that when you really dive into the numbers, it's not ideal, but it's just what we've got right now. And there's no one – you make a change – and you throw someone else in the ninth inning, then you've got to cover the eighth and the seventh somewhere. So it's right. taking from Peter to give to Paul. And it I just think that it's working well enough now. We've got a three-game lead in the division. And look, if something starts to fall away in, at, between now and the end of the season, then maybe you look making a change in the playoffs. But playoffs is a different beast too. We're, yeah. we're probably going to have to go with an opener for one of the playoff starts, and, and you're going to have a bullpen game. So you may see you may see some strange things but it's you got to get away from the traditional way of looking at baseball which is really hard to do but that's the way the rays play and look how successful they are yeah and they do it year in and year out and the yeah. names change more often than you would imagine for a club that's had that kind of sustained success but looking at what the Braves have going for the rest of this road trip and the homestand that follows rolling into San Diego shortly and that's a Padres team that finds itself I think in a bit of a last stand situation when it comes yeah. to securing a playoff spot. Uh, this is the back end of a trip, though, that I think is really going to challenge the Braves. It always has. They, I always get a little nervous when they go out west for a long period of time. Uh, what do you expect from this weekend as they wrap up with Arizona first and then roll into San Diego and play, what, three and a quarter games to finish that makeup from Atlanta earlier? I think a lot's going to depend on these next two against Arizona. I think if they can get through these, if they sweep Arizona, I think they're going to be riding high and it'll be a whole different momentum swing going into San Diego, who are Mm -hmm. also scuffling and yelling at each other. And they're trying to, as you said, have a last ditch effort to try and make their way into the playoffs because that'll be all way more disappointing than than the Braves season if they don't make it. But um, again, if we can get through these next two games and win, I think we can take two or three from San Diego and then we basically just have to win one of the next or two of the next six, right? To make it through, depending on what Philly does. But, when Philly is celebrating walk-offs against the Baltimore Orioles like they did last night, I would think we're going to be just fine. Yeah, one would hope so. And I know it's been this way for a while, but I think it bears repeating for the Braves. This is as simple as winning series, right? You just keep doing that, and the Phillies Correct. really don't have a chance to catch them with less than two weeks remaining now anyway. That's right. And I don't think, as I said, they got beaten in one game, and then they had to walk it off in the bottom of the ninth thing in the second game against the Baltimore Orioles, who the only worst team in the game is the Diamondbacks, and we're playing them. So... 
that's the competitiveness that I feel like is frustrating about the game right now, but it's mm-hmm. we got to take advantage of it while it's here. No doubt about it. And as if it wouldn't happen any other way, it is the Phillies who'll greet Atlanta when they come off the road. <laughs> and it feels like the Braves are going to be getting a little bit of a tune-up right before October on the one hand. And then on the other hand, you've just got to beat these guys and really just put their hopes on ice permanently. Exactly. Did you see Noah Syndergaard is about to start throwing for the Mets? He's throwing in AAA this week. Oh, my. I mean, perfect timing. That away, Mets. Ramp I mean, him up quickly so that you can blow him out before next season. That team has had the kind of season that they spent some time in first place, and that seemed like about as high as it was going to get. And then about the time June rolled around, it was on the field, off the field. Nothing has gone right Ugh. for that club. I hate not seeing Jacob deGrom out there. Maybe it's just me, me but too. when you get the opportunity to watch a guy who's putting up the kind of numbers and doing it in the fashion he does, I hate when I see guys like that get hurt. Same thing with Mike Trout. You know, he went down with yeah. a calf injury in May, and we haven't seen him since and probably won't see him again this year. I hate when we don't get to see as much as we can of guys who you know are just destined for greatness, probably going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. In the case of DeGrom, definitely going to be there in the case of Mike Trout. DeGrom is the best pitcher that I've ever seen, and he does it with that little smirk on his face too, which kind of pisses me off because I know that he's just out there having fun. And I was out there – Every time I picked up a baseball, it was an absolute grind to try and get that thing to be a strike. And then he's just out there grinning at the best hitter in the world, Freddie Freeman, throwing 101 miles an hour past people and just smiling. Like, it pisses me off, I'll be honest with you. No, it's crazy. And he seems to get better <laughs> the older he gets, too, which has just been absolutely And he's a good wild. dude. Like, come on, man. Yeah, I saw that guy in the minor leagues in, I believe, 2012, an A-ball. And I thought... He has a chance to be pretty good, but I had just seen Matt Harvey. I had already seen Noah Syndergaard. I really wasn't thinking a whole lot about Jacob deGrom, but all he's done is march onto the big stage and been the biggest and most successful of all those big arms the Mets were toting out there at one point. Uh, Final series of the years against the Mets, who had a very Mets-type season we just talked about. But (laughs) I, I guess it can be said, you can't overlook anyone, leave that door cracked. It's all about winning that final series as well and finishing strong heading into October. BJ calls them trap series, um, mm-hmm. but the Mets are not a trap series, but, you know, those lesser teams. We have to just keep winning series, man. And, and oh, if the Mets have any kind of influence on our season in those last three games, I'm going to be mightily disappointed. Yeah, not only disappointed, you might just be a little bit anxious and uncomfortable as well getting through those three games, maybe sweating through your suit. I don't know. But, Peter, I appreciate all the time you made for me this afternoon. <laughs> do, you remember when, do you remember when Wags was out there? Uh, I think it must have been – it might have been 2010. Was that the – yeah, it must have been because Wags was out there closing. Yeah. I had no influence on the game at all. We're playing Philly, I think, the last game of the year. We had to win to win through the wild card or whatever it was. And it's just like, oh, my God. It was just – no, we won the division that year, didn't we? Or was it wild card? I can't remember. Yeah, 20, whatever it was. 2010 would have been a wild card, I believe. That's Bobby's last year, right? I, that's what it was. And I had never been more nervous in my whole life. I was shitting myself. And that was when I realized that's what you play baseball for. This is the feeling. <laughs> this is why you play 162 games. I get it. I get it now. Peter, I appreciate all your time that you made for me. Let people know where they can check out Farm to Fame and everything else you're working on these days. Farm to Fame is on all the places that you can find podcasts, and I am obviously doing pre and post with Bally Sports, and we'll be doing post-game for the playoffs too, so stay tuned for those ones as well. My thanks again to Peter Moylan. Make sure you're following him on Twitter, at Peter Moylan, and be sure to check out Farm to Fame as well. He's hosting that show. that takes a look at prospects all across baseball with our friend Kelsey Wingert, and you can find it wherever you download your podcast. As always, you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. I appreciate your ratings and reviews. 
On Twitter, I am at Grant McCauley. Peter is at Peter Moylan. The show is at From the Diamond underscore on Instagram, at Grant McCauley there, and at From the Diamond with no underscore on the end is how you connect with the show. As always, you can find every episode of From the Diamond as well as articles and videos and anything else I can throw at you at FromTheDiamond.com. So that'll wrap us up for this episode. It had been a little while since we got to chat about the Braves, but thrilled to have Peter Moreland come on to talk about it all and get us set for what we hope is going to be a great finish to the 2021 season for the Braves and what they need to do to punch that ticket to October. And that's our time for this week. For Peter Moreland, I'm Grant McCauley. This has been From the Diamond, and we will catch you next time. So long, everyone.